Welcome to Last First State Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. This is episode number 398 with Lori Gerber, The Art of Honesty in Dating and Relationships. Hello, everybody. I am Sandy Weiner, and welcome to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late for love and that a woman of value naturally attracts the respect and rewards she deserves in life and love. Every week, I bring you a tip on how to become that woman of value, and this week's tip is be playful. We always forget about this. You know, I think like as we get older, we get super serious and everything is all about like play only happens when we go on big vacations and things like that. And I think play is one of the most important things, especially as a woman. It is a feminine trait. It's warm. It's, it's, it's engaging. So my challenge to you today is find a way to be playful in your life. If you're really serious, especially as, as we're taping, this is coronavirus time and there's a lot of seriousness in the world. It's time to laugh and do whatever you can. I mean, I have been looking at hysterical videos. I just watched a Conan O'Brien video that, that cracked me up with him going on, tin, on Grindr, which was absolutely hysterical. <laughs> have you seen that, Laurie? I have not, but you made me think of my, my favorite meme, which is, if you see me talking to myself, mind your own business. I'm having a parent-teacher conference. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so we're bringing Lori on in just a minute, but before I do, I have a free Facebook group for anybody who's over 40 and dating and would like some positive support. We are a group called Your Last First Date, and so many groups for singles are a bunch of rants and angry, can you believe he did this kind of conversations? And we are not that. We are all about being clear in our communication. We, if we want advice, we ask for it. We don't tell people what they should do. We share our own experiences. It's very coach-like and it's very directed. So I have seven monitors who, who are taking a look at this group all day long and I'm in there doing live videos every week. So join us for a great dating support and a group and it's called Your Last First Date. And now for my guest, Lori Gerber. She is passionate about personal development and she's been coaching individuals and groups for over 15 years. She's the head coach at Hendel Group, which Hendel Group Life Coaching, and she teaches people to tell the truth and pursue their dreams through life events, one-on-one coaching, online coaching courses, and more. She's a writer, she's on radio, she's many TV experiences, appearances, sorry, on MTV, A&E, Dr. Phil. They were experiences. (laughs) Experiences and appearances. She's been on the Today Show and she's here with us today. Welcome to the show, Lori. Thank you for having me, Sandy. Great to be here. Great to see you. And um, let's start out with speaking about spiritual integrity. What does it mean to be the author of your life? Yeah, well, uh, let me zoom out for a moment and just say, I'm trained in this thing called the Handel Method. And the Handel Method has all these different principles to it. And I personally used it as a client when I first came. And I had done a lot of work on my, what I would call my physical integrity, right? What, 
what am I doing? Am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? And I was a very hardworking person and I was always, you know, tweaking my diet and trying to be better in relationships and taking lots of courses and reading lots of books and um, doing all kinds of things to fix my behavior. But I had never really engaged in a process that asked me first, what was really important to me? What was my purpose? What was the highest ideal I had in all the areas of my life? Then what was my thinking, right? Was I was I thinking consistent with that or not? And then, then what was my action, but based on those other two. So heart, head, and body, not just body. So spiritual integrity really is about your philosophical beliefs. And are you living true to your highest purposes and your highest philosophical beliefs? And so then being an author of your life means that you have everything to do with that alignment or misalignment, right? So I would always sort of you know, explain why I wasn't deeply intimately connected with my husband or why I wasn't in the shape I wanted in my body or why I wasn't in a career I loved by explaining external factors. We call that the weather report, you know, like, well, the economy is such and such. I've been with my husband for a while. You know, everyone in my family looks like this. This is how we eat versus the author. Oh, actually, it's the choice of every single thing I put in my mouth that makes my body look like this. Oh, actually, it's how I speak to and don't listen to my husband that causes our lack of intimacy. Oh, actually, it's, um, you know, that I'm not doing business development that's impacting my business. So, so author of my life was a concept I had not heard before and changed everything about how much I could achieve in those areas of life. I love it because, you know, we, we are so much the master of our world. And I think that so many people are victims of their lives and don't feel that they have power to create the life they want. And it's, it's extremely empowering to know what you can control and what you can't control. And especially if you're looking inwards rather than out. So tell us a little bit about the TEDx talk you recently gave. Um, I loved it. And uh, it's, it's an interesting topic that you chose. Tell us why you chose that topic. And Yeah, I mean, part of why we, I chose it, we chose it, is because nobody really else wants to talk about it. You know, it, so the topic was lying and how we all do it and how I personally have done it in my life and what happened when I went on a secret free diet. And that's the name of it, a secret free diet. Um, so there was a time in my life in, in, as part of the Handel method and part of what we teach people to do where I, I had to make a list of every single thing I lied about, lie about the types of lies I do, the lies from my past, things I've been hiding, things I just don't want to say, all, all of it. And then I proceeded to do the work to actually confront each and every one and clean them up if necessary and talk them out if necessary. And then sort of my ultimate final the presentation was, and this was not even expected, but I was inspired to do it, was to read that entire list to my father, uh, to which he replied, is that it? <laughs> which was this wonderful culmination of my entire life story. Um, but, but, but we picked that topic really because it's, it's getting so little attention as the reason why human beings are not happy and not free and not proud um, we look at other stuff, you know, we look at your nutrition, we look at your meditation practices, we look at, you know, we can look at so many things that are more um, elementary, but what we found in our practice is that if we go after, um, if we really go after a human being's 
particular brand of lying to themselves and to others, it unlocks a whole other level of self-respect, especially if it comes with a sense of humor, right? There can be, there's no shame in the Handel method. There's no feeling bad. There's no beating yourself up. Everyone lies on average of several times a day, at least. We explain all the different types of lying. So we're really trying to take the stigma out of it and the shame out of it and just make it a fun, sexy topic of conversation on the planet. Because as soon as you can nail that and bring a sense of humor to it, you are free in a way you have no idea. Oh, yeah. Secrets, you know, Renee, Renee Brown talks about this a lot, that the secrets are, you know, keeping shame inside. And once we release those secrets, we are so much freer. And I, you, you told your father, and I don't want to give away the TED Talk, but you, you told him something that you thought he would get very upset about. Right? You might be thinking of, there was an example in there, if you're, or you were thinking about the um, abortion example. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was not my personal example. Oh, okay, it was somebody else. It was a, it was a friend, yeah. Uh, but that, I mean, that was just such a, a beautiful story. And I, I can give you, I can, everyone should just go listen to the TEDx talk, but mm-hmm. I can give, I can just say reporting from the field of having done my 10,000 hours of practice at this and working with others at this, that um, you have no idea. You have no idea what other people are thinking. You have no idea how normal you are. You know, I can't tell you how many people, there's not a million topics, right? It's sibling rivalry. It's I killed a pet. I, it's incest. It's abuse. It's mental health issues. It's sexuality. It's gender. It's, you know, stealing someone's boyfriend, cheating. It's, it's, there's only 30 things. It's not even, it's not even like we have that. And, and I've never met someone who surprised me with the thing on their list. And I've literally seen millions. And yet we're all walking around like our list is somehow worse or different or unforgivable or unknowable or, and it's just not true. So even the, in this case, this story, you know, even the, the highly religious father to the next generation woman that had an abortion, you have no idea how someone's going to react and you have no idea. And especially if it's someone in your family, you have no idea how much you're repeating the lineage anyway, and nobody's talking about it. So if you break the code of silence, you're not just going to heal yourself. You're going to heal everyone. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And some people can't handle your truth. I'm sure. Uh, I, I remember not wanting to tell my parents when I wasn't um, keeping the Sabbath anymore. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a very religious home and I was in my early twenties and I started driving and doing all kinds of things that were so against what my parents had brought me up to do. And my mother took it really well. My father, I don't think I ever told my father because he was so black and white and judgmental that I was afraid of telling him. And I became religious again. And then I, I Mm -hmm. stopped doing it again after my divorce. And I remember telling my mom, um, you just guess what, you know, you want to come and spend the holidays with me, but it's not going to be what you want. <laughs> I'm off the routine and, again. Yeah. yeah. And so she, she took it well. I mean, it's, and I, I didn't know how she would respond, but it, it's freeing. It's very freeing when you just release it. And this is well, who I am. It's interesting because Lauren, who invented the Handel method, was raised in an Orthodox household. Yeah. So it's it's an interest. It's a funny thing that you bring it up, and she often tells the story of this 
moment, I think she was in her teens when she had this revelation that she was just going to be lying to her parents all the time. And she didn't want to be lying to them. Mm -hmm. So she sat them down and this is for all of us to learn from. And she said, listen, I, I, I can keep lying to you, you know, or would you like to know the real me? Like, are you up for it? Do you want to know? And they said they wanted to know. And so from then on, she's been lead, you know, for the last 40 years since then, she has been leading her family in how to tell the truth and how do you, can you accept me for who I am? And, and it's remarkable. And does the Orthodox parent, you know, could she be less, I, she could not be less Orthodox. And yet she is very Orthodox in her own way, but she has the full love and transparency with her parents and vice versa that they agreed upon. So one, one of those little measures you can take in between is actually asking, and this goes for dating too, is like, would you like the real full me? Like, or would you like us to, you know, pander for a little while? Or, you know, would you like to, and most people are going to say, yes, I want the real one. The real one, but, but how soon? So, <laughs> but first I just want to reflect on what you just shared, because I, I love the way she asked the question do you want to know the real me? And I think that's, that's, a, that's an invitation rather than I have to tell you something that's probably going to piss you off. And, you know, right. there's, there's so many ways we could do this. So in dating, and I can tell you from my own experience, a lot of the men I speak to start to open up very quickly and tell me things I really don't want to hear on a, like on a first phone call. <laughs> um, so I'll find out. And, you know, is it bad? Probably not because I can quickly assess whether they're for me or not. But some things I believe are better told after you like somebody. And um, like you could handle that somebody had an eating disorder in the second month of knowing them, maybe, rather than on a first date. You know, hi, I have an eating disorder. My mother's, you know, bipolar and, um, you know. You maybe that you kind of let off like a therapist vibe and they just <laughs> want to like use their session well when they're with you. You definitely I have that. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think when you're an empath and it's not just coaches who do this and have this vibe, but a lot of times men don't open up to everybody. You know, they're keeping in a lot of stuff. So they're opening up and they're telling you about their diabetes and their kidney stones. I mean, it's like, you know, you leave the call thinking, I don't want to be a caretaker. And maybe mm -hmm. if I liked you, I could handle your kidney stone. But when I don't know you, it feels like a burden. So can you speak to that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a fair point. So again, in the handle method, we teach a concept called the three H's, the head, the heart, and the hoo-ha. And, <laughs> and our joke is, you know, you've been doing the wrong math. You've been splitting it like, well, if it's, you know, 60% head, I can give up 10% in the hoo-ha. And, you know, you negotiate between practical, workable, you know, they want to retire when I want to retire, heart, you know, connection, love, trust, affinity, sense of humor, all the things you care about with your heart, and then hoo-ha is chemistry or, or sex appeal and, and, and um, compatibility in that regard. And most people sell out on one or more of those. And so what we're trying to get people to do is be very specific about what you're looking for in those and what your deal breakers are. There are some deal breakers, not a million, but there are some. 
please don't have a million, have just a few (laughs) deal breakers in each of those. And then we say that if you're looking for your one and you are in a hurry, and if you're not in a hurry, you can slow this down. You know, sometimes we work with late 30 something women and they're in a hurry. It may be different when you're in your 50s or 60s and you're dating. But if you want to avoid bad dates and you want to avoid investing yourself in a relationship that then you feel you have to keep, even if it isn't good, head, heart, and hoo-ha, we suggest you take three dates to find out what you need to know before you proceed further, before you get sexual, before you discuss monogamy or not, before you, but, but three dates is really the cutoff we think for where if head, heart, and hoo-ha are not all screaming eight out of 10, that's when you would say, it's been so great getting to know you, best of luck three dates, which means in those three dates, you do have to do the work to get to know each other pretty well. I would agree the most vulnerable stuff, I would wait for date three. So you spend a lot of time with the positive stuff first and do you like travel and dogs and you know what level of, zer- of observance are you? You, know, you stick to the head topics before you go to the heart topics because if you find a deal breaker in the head topic, like I wanna live in Idaho, well, I wanna live in New York City, then you don't even have to go past day one. You don't have to tell them about your eating disorder or your fake leg or whatever. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to. So I would say day one really focuses on chemistry, rapport, banter, humor, and the head questions, the stuff that everyone knows they're going to have to ask and answer. And then if that's all going well, and what I say for folks is that if the chemistry is there and the head is there, right? Like if this could work and I want to kiss you or more, then it's much safer to start revealing your heart stuff, right? Revealing your health issues or your family issues or your, you know, your, your vulnerabilities. But again, date two or three, maybe date four, the, the pitfall of waiting for those is that once you're in date seven, eight, nine, you're now like, well, I've invested in this stock. I need to stay invested in the stock, right? I need to see it go up, but actually it's going down. And so if you get that done by day three, it's much easier to pull away and have no drama. That's why I try to push it earlier versus say, wait, uh, you know, timing is not lying, but it could become lying, right? It could, it could become hiding and lying. Right. So, so what does, what, what do you recommend somebody do if someone starts asking a bunch of questions that are too personal too quickly? You can say, I'm not comfortable talking about that yet, but it's a pretty good red flag that it's not a great match right? That's a pretty good red flag because if they're asking, right, you know, they're going to know you not telling means they're probably going to assume it means some sort of negative response, maybe even more negative than is true. So you're not, it's not a great moment if someone's asking you for the truth and you don't want to tell it. I mean, I know so many people, Sandy, who literally will not find the love of their life because they don't want to tell that they have herpes, Mm -hmm. right? Even though herpes is rampant, right? And that breaks my heart, right? So I just look at it and go, love is the most important thing, folks. Like, it's the thing on your deathbed you're going to really care about, right? Maybe the contribution you made, although you might be way past that by the time you're on your deathbed, maybe how your kids turned out or your grandkids, but love is a pretty big deal. And a lot of us are opting out because of our prosthetic leg or our mom with Alzheimer's or our, you know, Kashrut practices or our, or, or our herpes, right? So 
that's what I'm really trying to help people understand is that your one wants you. Your person is the right match for your stuff. You're not trying to get someone who's out of your league. That's not going to work. Yeah. So it's okay. It's okay that the truth about you is the truth about you. Yeah. Yeah. You got to own it. Own, own your truth. Right. Exactly. Run, run that narrative. That is yeah. your narrative to run. So hurry up and figure out what you want the narrative to be. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. So, so you bring up herpes and, and that's a great topic because there's a ton of shame around STDs. And I've had a lot of women come to me with this who are afraid to disclose it, afraid to date, um, yeah. or they, you know, it's mostly, it's shame. It's a lot of shame. So, yeah. um, so this is not a first date conversation. Um, it's a before you have it? sex conversation. It, it's a third date conversation if you want to have sex with the person. Right. Good news in Corona, you know, in Corona time, <laughs> that's not going to be on the table. Though it's still, you don't want to fall in love. Herpes is a deal breaker for a very small set of the population. Mm. For a bigger set of the population, it's either good news or no big deal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you don't want to fall in love with someone who's going to hold that against you. You want to rule that person out by day three. Yeah. And yes, you want to get to know them and you want to make sure the chemistry's there and you want all that. You certainly don't want to get sexual before you have the conversation. But if everything else is eight or above, yeah, by the third date, you better ask about the herpes because you don't want to fall in love with that person if they're going to reject you for that reason. And they have a right. They have a right. Everyone has a right to their idiosyncrasies and their deal breakers. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, just made me think of the show Love is Blind. Did you see that? I haven't seen it. Okay, but it's I, like I all it. the rage. Yes. <laughs> there is one character who is bisexual, and he does not tell the woman that he gets engaged to until they're on their honeymoon. Um, so if for anybody who has been hiding under a rock and has not seen or heard of this show, people meet without meeting, they're in pods, and then they get engaged before they ever see each other. So it's kind of like the coronavirus, but we can do video dating. <laughs> so we have an advantage. We have such a greater advantage. We do. We're so lucky. So in this case, uh, he tells her on one of the first days of the honeymoon, and he's sitting there with this shame around his bisexuality and his being fluid sexually. And if he had disclosed it earlier, she would not have been as upset. And what was interesting, I mean, that the relationship ended as soon as he told her because of the way he told her. Mm. And he had this limiting belief, and I'd love you to address this. He had a belief that anybody who hears that I'm bisexual is going to reject me. Mm. So he had all this shame and this belief. She had a belief that uh, people abandoned me. I think that was hers. And it happened to both of them because of the way this relationship unfolded. So talk to us a little bit about that's a great case limiting. Study. <laughs> that's a great case study for my, for my point. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, you know, I couldn't stop thinking about that because I can as I was watching and I was thinking the time to tell her would have been before you got engaged and she yeah. probably, she would have had time to process it. She would have had time to make her decision based on how he talks about it too. And, you know, I think if he had also talked about it in a way that said, I love you, I want to be with you, 
And that's really all that matters in that moment. I mean, to me, that would, that would matter more than anything rather than I'm fluid. So I like you now, but I may like a guy later and, you know, and who knows what that means. So there was no discussion about what it could mean and how it what might affect their relationship. And it was, it was just an angry, angry conversation that was filled with wounds and hurt and doesn't have to be that way. So yeah, what would you suggest if someone has a secret like that and, you know, and limiting beliefs around how someone's going to hear their secret and be able to either yeah. accept them or not? Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is that one type of lie we talk about is the lie you tell yourself, right? Is the, you know, the reason I'm not getting along with so-and-so is because they're a bad communicator, mm -hmm. right? Or the reason I'm overweight is because genetics, <laughs> like the, those are lies, also, um, you know, that I'll be rejected if I tell someone I'm bisexual, that is clearly makes no sense. That is, that cannot possibly be true. It's just not right. Even I'm going to be abandoned, right? You might've been abandoned three times in your life, maybe. And even that I would check the stats on, but it's not, those projections are the first lie and they stay a negatively impacting lie. As long as you don't say them out loud, if you say them out loud, they hit the light of day uh, dissenting opinions can can interact with that those ideas, and you don't get you don't get to keep those limiting beliefs and those lies that you live with. Uh, we call it the PR agent. Like everyone's sending out a PR agent to meet with other PR agents, and you know you're lying about yourself. You're hiding certain things. You're presenting certain things. You're exaggerating certain things, and then you wonder why you feel lonely, or you wonder why you don't feel seen or known, or you wonder why even when someone falls in love with you, you still don't trust it because it's not you. So we, we really need to do, and this is, you know, I'm in the advanced part of the hand-on method. At the beginning of the hand-on method, we're just telling the truth about what do we want? What do we like? What are we, what are we willing to do to get it? What do we, you know, just basic truths about oneself that you have to get to before you can then tell it to another human being. Um, I do, you do remind me of one of the first conversations I had with my husband with before our first kiss. He said, um, you know, your breath smells and we should go brush our teeth. <laughs> I remember that moment of like, oh, I cannot believe he just said that. Like, I cannot believe he just said that. That's you amazing. <laughs> I just wanted to just crawl into a hole and die. And then I, I had this light bulb moment of like, oh my God, he, he's going to tell me the truth. Like he's gonna not bullshit me. Thank God. You know, and, and I got over my embarrassment. I survived and he survived. I'm sure he was very scared to say that. I love garlic, you know, by the way. And I didn't, you know what? I wasn't kissing anyone. I didn't know, you know? And so we did, we went and brushed our teeth and we had our first kiss and now we've been together 25 years. But, but, but I just, and I'm telling you this just because it, it, it exemplifies something. And something I've seen with clients for years is that if you start telling the truth in the beginning, Number one, it builds trust, it builds intimacy, it builds connection, it sets the stage for more, and it will quickly weed out someone who doesn't want that. Because in that moment, I had to choose, is this the kind of relationship I want? Where we're real with each other or not? I could have hightailed it out there before the first kiss. But he showed his card, so I showed mine. And it's been like that ever since. I so I highly recommend truth-telling on... on on all the levels about herpes, about, I don't like how you're touching me. I'm so sorry. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Let me show you how I like it. Mm -hmm. 
please, let me just show you how I like it, right? Just loving, sweet. He was so nice about it. He didn't say, oh, your breath stinks. He said, oh, we should go brush our teeth. It'd be more fun, you know, just <laughs> with, with, gra with grace, right? You tell your truth with grace yes. and other people can hear it because it's okay if they don't want to be with someone with herpes. You just go, hey, I'm so scared to tell you this because I think you might not, it might be a deal breaker for you, but I, I have to because we have to be honest. Right. I'm bisexual or I'm, I live with my mother or... I have the herpes and do it on the third date. So you don't, so you can be with it if they say no. So you can yeah. survive it and still go back and go, well, that was just him. That wasn't my one. Yeah. You don't want to show one, one you. Yeah, that is so true. I love that story about the bad breath because most people are scared to say that, you know, I've been with somebody with bad breath and I never knew how to address it. This was many, many years ago. And I kept thinking, it's like rude. You don't say anything, but the guy had terrible breath. And or my, my husband said, you, I wanted to kiss you. That right. Was, that was the point. That's the intention. Right. So the intention is, I want to get closer. I, want, I love you. I care about you. And that's why I'm telling you this. Not because I just want to push you away. Because a lot of people think, well, if I tell my truth, that will put some distance between us. And not, it's, not part, been, right? it's not been our evidence. <clears throat> yeah. And it just, I keep thinking about parenting. I know we're talking about dating and relationships, but I just, I think this is such a good practice as a parent to encourage truth telling and to, because, you know, in my house, I didn't feel safe telling the truth. And so I raised children who were, and mm -hmm. I know you have too. So can you tell us a story about your parenting and how you encourage your children to tell the truth? Oh, what a sweet question. Thank you. I really have worked on that. So, I mean, for one thing, I do TEDx talks about telling the truth and I practice on the children. <laughs> I practice the talk with them. Um, so one of the things I do is I admit when I'm wrong. I tell them stories of my own mess ups and secrets and lies and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's sort of obvious. But Another practice that we have in my family that I think is so precious and really other families can do is we call it a feelings party, which is we discovered that whenever we were on our way to a party, especially my husband and I, if we were on our way to a party, we would be like a little more at each other's throats, a little more like edgy and pissy and could like actually have a fight in the car. I don't know if I'm the only one who has that experience, but because you know, you're on display, you, I don't know, you have more concerns if you're hosting a party or going to a party. So we started to call it the feelings party before the party. And then we started including the kids in it. And now we do it regularly. If there's ever anything other than a nice high vibration in the family, anyone can call a feelings party. And what that means is that everybody just gets a turn to just get listened to and just say what they're feeling. And that's the first level of truth. Like I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling uncomfortable. I, I'm afraid I can't leave at nine o'clock. What if I don't get a good night's sleep? I don't know who's going to be there. Are they going to be judging me? Or during coronavirus, right? I'm scared I'm not going to go to go back to school. I'm scared that, you know, my friends aren't, I haven't solidified my friendships enough for them to survive being apart for months and months and months. So we just have this ritual of it's okay to say how you are. It's not the truth. It's just how you are right now. It's your current truth. And everybody just is going to listen and love you. And then if you want help, we'll help you. But otherwise, we're just going to, we're just going to listen to you and hear where you're at. And this is something we do at work every day. And now I do these 9am calls every morning with the community, with anyone who wants to come. And every morning, we just, we do a vibe check. How are you? Scale of one to 10 and why? And everyone just gets to tell the truth about how they are. Because that's the first thing we want to lie about. 
Is that okay. an, is that example is that a good example? Well, that I mean? love that. I you yeah. know I it's just being able to know your feelings, speak your feelings, and not have them fixed is amazing. It's so <laughs> different than what our parents did, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Let me fix that. Yeah. Don't feel that way. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. I it mean, is hard. It's not what we're used to. Yeah. It's right. No, but I love that. And, and the fact that you can be so conscious and so mindful and, and then it's a ripple effect because they're bringing that into the world and it's, it's amazing. I mean, to me, my greatest joy is seeing my kids take boundaries out into the world and speaking up and all the things that I teach mm-hmm. and watching that get reflected out into the world. Oh, yeah. so. When I found out that my kid was doing feelings parties on the way to parties, as a junior and senior in high school with wow. his friends, I was like, I did something good. You did something great. <laughs> I mean, raising emotionally intelligent children, oh. you get a lot of points for that. Yay. Uh, so Lori, I have one final question for you. And will you, um, I always ask if you can share one final tip or tips for how people can go on their last first date. <gasps> Ooh. Gosh, I mean, really, it's encapsulated in a 12-part curriculum in Inner You Love (laughs) because there is not one answer to it, right? So for some people, you're selling out on head, heart, or hoo-ha, right? And you really have to be able to see the pattern. And we have a whole chart where we, you know, do the relationship history and you can see all your patterns and you really need to see a pattern and vow to stop it and tell everyone you're going to stop it. That's for some people, it's that right? For some people, they really don't understand what's unresolved in their family history. And they're repeating something they don't even know they're repeating that's even beyond their own personal history. For some people, you've, you've never even articulated what you want in head, heart, and hoo-ha. It's like you don't, you didn't program the GPS. So you're just circling the block. You're just like, or, or better yet, you've programmed the GPS to not whole foods, so, so the GPS is trying to find what you don't want. It will never get you to what you do want, right? So you need to, you need to articulate what those three H's are and where, what is the destination you're trying to get your vehicle to. And that's hugely important. Um, I would say that, and then there's all, I have all kinds of tips. You know, I've been teaching on match.com and JDate and all those places for years. So I have all kinds of tips on like literally how to date, like literally Stick to three dates, ask all the questions, don't have sex until you're monogamous, you know, simple tips that will, you know, make you smarter, more efficient, and less likely to come up with more stories about dating. Um, But let me just make sure I'm actually answering your question. The last (laughs) first date. Yeah, you got to be on purpose. You got to be on purpose. I think it, will that will that will three suffice? Will three? Yeah, I mean, it's it is a lot of things. It's a lot of things. It's a lot it's, of things. It's a and lot of things. and you know what you say is so important. Your history, your your unresolved issues. You keep bringing those everywhere you go. <laughs> and if you don't look at the patterns, you just repeat them. And and you yeah. see so many people. And I think this is like false information out there about. The high divorce rate for second divorces or you know second marriages third marriages i think that people again if they didn't do this work they're going to keep having that same relationship and keep getting divorced but if you do the work you get to keep the relationship and and just really for perspective we're doing the work that no generation before could have done 
I mean, the modern marriage is like two seconds old. Like this, this, this whole idea of marrying for love and like, it is two seconds old. There is nobody who could have done this for us or set us up for what's possible now in the modern era. It's just utterly new and cutting edge and it continues to keep evolving in terms of gender and sexuality and polyamory. I mean, there's so, we could barely keep up. So it's not like we were supposed to know this. This is a new opportunity to do this work on behalf of our history and our lineage and our society. But it's not like we should have done it already. We, we just figured it out, like barely. <laughs> so, you know, no one should feel bad that we have not figured out love. We've not even been in the game to figure Very it out. True. We only just got these tools. Right. So, so be kind to yourselves, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and, We're just and, learning. Yeah, and, and pat yourself on the back because you're doing this on behalf of the future generations too, right? Like this is, this is it's like feminism, right? Like, like thank you. Thank you people who came before me. This is very helpful for the people who come next. Yeah, it's so true. It's, it's so noble true. work. It is noble work. I mean, again, like, you know, you said earlier, relationships are the most important thing. And if we can get this right, we have happier lives. We can get to the yeah. end of our lives with, without regrets. Yeah. And with love. And that yeah. is... And, and don't underestimate showing your children and your grandkids. I don't care if you're 70 or 80 years old. You show them that you can do the work and get the love you want. That makes it possible down the generations. Yeah. Which is another, I think, really fun incentive to... Because sometimes it's a little girly to do the work. But it's another great incentive to do it on behalf of, of who else will benefit from it. Yeah. I, I love looking forward to the future and... The, the the ripple effect that we all have. Well, this has been amazing conversation, Lori. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the work, um, how people can find you and, and your various, the various hats that you wear. Yeah. Well, the main thing I would direct people to is Inner You Love, which is this online digital coaching program that we finally developed after, again, you know, coaching people for thousands of dollars over a year or two years we figured out we need people to be able to get this quickly, easily, inexpensively. And so we put it into 12 coaching sessions that are audio recorded. You do them at your own pace as you can. It's Lauren, you know, who invented the method uh, teaching it. It has all of our assignments that we give our private coaching clients. It has all of our methodology in it. It has um, coming with it classes as well, live webinar classes for the rest of your life. You own it for life and you can come and go from those classes for the rest of your life. Also live Q&A calls with a coach. So it's very customized to you. You can bring your particular issues to a coach again for the rest of your life. And you get a private coaching call, which is normally 250 bucks, all within the package price of 650 so it's an incredible, incredible amount of value and it will, it will last you your whole life because you should go back to it once you're in a relationship and once that relationship feels like it's fizzling because it's got all that content also. Um, so it's really, we're so honored to be able to offer it to people and you personally have a discount code because we love a bargain. Last first date 75 reduces your price from 650 to, um, to 575. So it's even cheaper for y'all. So that's really what I would recommend. Um, I believe you will have a link in your show notes to get people to that discount and to the more information about it. But Inner You Love is the name of that program. So thank you. Thank you, Laurie, for coming on the show and sharing this really important topic with us. It's, it's just, you know, 
just the truth will set you free. And I yeah. think we, we need more truth tellers out in the world. Thank you for spreading the word. All <laughs> I want is for truth telling to seem sexy. That's all I'm asking. I think it's sexy. Good. <laughs> I, I, I can tell I found a kindred spirit. Thank you. Uh, yes, for sure. Thank you all for listening today. And if you love our show, please rate and review us, subscribe, share, wherever you listen to podcasts. And we hope you go on your last first date very soon. Bye.